glad you guys are here. For those of you joining us online, I'm glad that you're joining us. I can just say that uh, wherever you're watching, it probably was not bumping the way that it bumps in here. So um, you can tell uh, our sound guys, as soon as that first uh, beat drops, like they just start to push it really hard. And, uh, but I'm glad you guys are joining us online, wherever you join us. We are working through a series in the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew. If you don't own a Bible, don't have one in front of you, um, maybe you've got it on your phone, you should download the Bible app, um, or you can be on tablet. Or I'm, I'm going to read the story, and you should be able to kind of follow along uh, with us through the story. Before we get to Matthew 19... While you're turning there, I got a couple quick announcements for you or reminders. Um, first of all, is on the stage here are a bunch of people that you probably don't recognize, and I want to introduce you to your granddaughter. And that might be a little awkward for you, but because uh, some of you are like, I'm not old enough yet to have a granddaughter. I'm so young still. We all know you're not. Anyways. Um, no, so this band is from the Village Church, which uh, about 10, 12 years, I should have checked before service, it's 2007. How many years has it been since 2007? 14 years. Gee, money. When you're getting a little old I am, time goes by really quick. Um, 14 years ago, we planted a church in Dallas called Dallas Church. You know, we, we, we really lean into the creativity around here. And so Dallas Church, and then some years after that, Dallas Church planted Corvallis Church. You see uh, the theme going here? Um, Corvallis Church, and Corvallis Church merged and became uh, the Village Church in Adair Village. And this band here is uh, from the Village Church, and they're serving us today as we're in transition with our worship leader position. And I'm so grateful. Thank you very much, guys, for being here. Also, uh, next week, Rooted and Grow begin, and if you don't know what those words mean, it means that you should sign up for Rooted. Uh, Rooted is the answer for us around here. It's the way, if you want to get connected, if you want to find your place in community, if you want to like, even understand who God is and what this whole like, church thing is, like, Rooted is the place you want to get signed up. And uh, it, it's 10 weeks. There's some commitment, but you're going to be so glad that you did, and you can get yourself signed up by texting the word Monmouth to the number 97,000, I think for in the room, it's on the screens here, right? Because then you can see it, 97,000. And uh, you can learn information about it. You can get yourself signed up. Also, uh, beginning this fall, we're starting a new thing called Grow Classes. And uh, we're gonna offer a couple of them every term. Some of them will repeat, some of them will change. And this time around, we have three Grow Classes. And they're kind of opportunities for you to focus on a specific thing in your life and really grow in that way. Same thing, you can text the word mom at the 97,000, get yourself signed up for it. And then lastly, uh, a couple weeks ago, almost a month ago, we had our annual back-to-school bash. If you don't know anything about Back School Bash, it's a thing we started, I think, six years ago. Uh, and we throw a huge party to start off school year and provide a bunch of school supplies. And when we do big events like this, we normally do a recap video and like we show you and we go, look at the cool thing, right? And uh, we just didn't because we were outside and so we didn't have good video. And so today we're gonna show you video. But before we do, um, I, I just wanna say thank you again. This is one of the reasons we're showing the video. I'll say thank you again because um, uh, it is not hard to motivate this church to respond to needs in our community. 
Uh, almost effortlessly, we're just like, hey, it's back to school bash. And we filled hundreds of backpacks. And we had a huge team show up to go out to serve out in Fall City. We focused on Fall City this year. And uh, so if you provided school supplies, helped stuff and organize school supplies, or were part of the team that went up there on Sunday, I want to say thank you. And uh, here's a little video of what it looked like for those of you who missed it. School Bash, I just want to say thank you for uh, your generosity and being part of it. Uh, Linda, before when we played the video pre-service, uh, she goes, were you guys in the road? And I just want you to know, in Fall City, we're kind of a big deal. So the mayor showed up and shut the road down for us. Main Street. They just shut it down. They made people drive around on this kind of semi-sketchy gravel road around behind some houses if they wanted to get through town because we showed up with backpacks. So, thank you, thank you. Anyways, it was a great time. And for all those who helped, thank you very much. Um, okay, we're gonna look at Matthew 19. Got a Bible? Here we go. Matthew 19, verse 16. I'm gonna read it to you, and I'm gonna try not to interrupt myself, and then we're gonna, we're gonna look at the story. Okay, here we go. It says this. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept... What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples heard this, and they were very astonished. Okay, I got to interrupt myself right there, okay? Uh, it says that they were very astonished. Now, the Greek word, there's a Greek word right there that says very astonished, and that's a good translation, right? The problem is, is that there's actually a Greek word that we don't translate. It comes before very astonished, and it modifies very astonished. It's this word, extremely 
So, so here, wait a second. Just read this again because I, I want you to, we're, we're going to talk about the, all this in just a second. This is important. But I want you to feel the weight and the shock that the disciples felt, right? If we were to leave this, read this literally, it might say this. When the disciples heard this, they were extremely, very astonished and said, and who can be saved? One translator said that there's not a sufficient way to translate the intensity of this phrase in Greek, in the English language. He said the closest he could get was that they were dumbfounded and flabbergasted. Just makes me feel like I'm in England in the 50s. Flabbergasted, right? I don't know. But what he's trying to express is they didn't even have a category. This guy comes, asks this question, and they're just dumbfounded. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, here's the deal. This is a story that you may be familiar with, at least peripheral familiar with. It's a pretty well-known story, the story of the young rich ruler. And, and, and I want you to know, today is going to be, for most of us, a hard Sunday, Sometimes there are Sundays, like a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about, Jesus talked about, and so we had to talk about, Jesus talked about divorce. And, and that can be a hard conversation. That can be, a, because it can be so intermixed with, with uh, emotions and pain and unhealed wounds. And so that can be a hard Sunday. And then the week after that, to add on that, the week after that, we talked about singleness and the gift of singleness. And, and that can be, for some of us, an emotionally hard Sunday. Sometimes we cover passages where it's hard because Jesus is calling us to something that's difficult. And, th and there can be Sundays that are emotional. There can be Sundays that he's calling us to do difficult things. And then there can be Sundays like this. This Sunday is going to be hard for a different reasons because here's the temptation we're all going to experience. You may have even experienced it as I was reading through the passage. You're going to start to disassociate with the young rich ruler. You're going to start to distance yourself. You're going to start to say, well, I'm not like him. I don't know what I have in common with him. I don't know what I'm going to learn today because I'm not a young, rich ruler. And we can begin to distance ourselves so that we don't have to deal with the implications of what Jesus tells this man, of how Jesus responds to him. And, and I just want to encourage you, I just want to challenge you really, is for the next 20 minutes, when those things start right, and you start to justify why you don't have to listen or deal with what Jesus says to this man, or, or you're not like him, and you wouldn't respond that way, and if you were a young, rich ruler, you'd respond. And all those things start to come up, just, just to be patient with yourself and to lean in, because I really believe that if we're patient and we listen for the next 20, 25 minutes, that at the end there's going to be a payoff, that Jesus has something to say to us, even though we're not young, rich rulers. At least if you're young, rich ruler, I want to talk to you afterwards because I got some things I want to get paid for, okay? Here's, here's the other deal. Um, we, we like to distance ourselves from him, but, but, but I think, here's, here's the other thing. I think that if we give an honest look at this guy, if we understand his, his character and who he is and the full context, what's going on, I think that this is actually someone that most of us would not disdain, but it's someone we'd actually aspire to be like. I think that the person that we see here, maybe, I'm going to tell you this at the end, he may be the best 
potential candidate that Jesus has for a disciple that's ever presented to him. But he's a man that, in a lot of ways, we should be aspiring for our lives to look like his. So here's what I want to do. I want to begin with asking the question, okay, because I really believe this, what do we know about this man? Now, I'm going to need some of your help, okay, and I'm going to show you how this works, okay? Here's what we know about this man, the young, rich ruler. We know that he's a man. Can we all agree? Okay, okay, I'm going to need your participation here. If you're not in the room, you're kind of out of luck, but I'm, I'm going to need your participation. Here we go. Um, th this man, the young, rich ruler, what else do we know about the young, rich ruler? He's young. Oh, you guys are catching on to this. This is good. You guys are good at this. Okay, here we go. Young, rich ruler. Okay, we know that he's young. We know that he's a man. Um, young, rich ruler. What else do we know about the young, rich Ruler. Oh, there you go. Okay. He's a rich. He's rich. He's rich. He's not a rich. That would be my dad. His name's Rich. Um, he is rich. Okay. Um, what else do we know about the young, rich ruler? <laughs> uh, ruler. He's a ruler. He's a ruler. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I don't know how well you can see all this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stack him right up there. Young, rich, Ruler. Here's the other reason that I think that we like to kind of disassociate from this guy. Because if we found any familiarity with him, we would have to acknowledge how pervasive our own culture is on our soul. And here's what I mean. Um, he's young. One of the great fascinations of our culture, one of the great obsessions, maybe even one of the great idols of our culture is youthfulness. There are billion-dollar industries propped up on the sales pitch that they can make you look or feel younger, right? There's, there's, there's huge sales pitches, and all of us, I think we can all agree, if we're honest, most of us, you know, maybe you're young enough, not yet, but most of us, eventually, we're going to wish that maybe we could be a little bit young. Who, who knew that taking a nap was going to be like a violently abusive thing on your body? Have you gotten to that age yet? I've gotten to that age, and I'm only 30. How old am I? I'm 36 years old, okay? I take a nap, and I'm like, that was a bad life choice. It hurts more, right? Uh, there, there are days where I have to drink more coffee than I remember having to drink when I was younger, don't we all kind of wish we had a little bit the vitality and the energy of when we were younger that maybe our complexion looked a little bit like it was when our skin was all a little bit tighter in all the right places than when we were younger, our hair moved in the right way as maybe some of us just wish we had hair like when we were younger, right? We all, we have this fascination. Our culture has such an obsession. In fact, Seth Halligan, he's on our team. Um, he, he, he spent some time in Asia, and then when he came back, he was kind of going through this process of uh, reverse culture shock, this thing that happens when you come back to a culture you think you're familiar with. And one of the things that he noticed that was so weird to him is like we have no respect, no reverence for the aging process. That like aging is dying is defeat. And that we're constantly trying to recapture being young. Young rich ruler. I think if I asked the question, like how many of us would want to be rich? Not a lot of us would raise our hand, but I think if I asked this question, how many of us wish we had a little bit more money? I think if we we're honest, every one of us would raise our hand, right? 
How many of us wish we had a little bit less debt, maybe a little bit more in savings, maybe a little bit more in a retirement fund? Not a lot, not a lot, because we all know the like stingy, arrogant jerk who has a lot of money. Not a lot, just a little bit more than we have right now. One of our great obsessions of our culture, maybe even one of the idols of our culture is wealth. That we could be just a little bit wealthier, a little bit more comfortable, have a little bit nicer truck, have a little bit nicer house, just a little bit more. Young, rich, ruler. Now, the Greek word for ruler that's used here, we translate, it's a good word, but a lot of times when we think of ruler, we think of like, um, like royal family. Right, We think of like someone who's like in royalty or in political power, and he may have been. He may have been a part of a royal family, or he may have been in politics himself, but the Greek word's a lot more vague than that. It just means someone of influence, someone of notoriety, someone of recognition, someone that people knew, someone who had influence over other people, someone who had power. And in fact, it may have been connected to the fact that he was rich. I mean, that may have been the only significant. That's maybe why, because the, the, the word ruler actually comes from Luke's telling of the story. Luke tells us that he's a ruler. Matthew doesn't tell, he just tells us he's wealthy and owns a lot of land. And that may be what it means for him to be a ruler, is that he, uh, think of it this way, he basically was the CEO of a huge farming industry. He was the administrator. He was the owner of this huge production that had a lot of imports and exports and, and rhythms and practices and a lot of financial liability, but also a lot of financial reward. And he had layers and layers and layers and layers of employees that worked under him whose sustenance came from his ability to do his job well. He had such power over other people that, that what we have here is a young dude who's got a lot of money because he's been really good in business. And I think that if we were to find ourselves looking like him, we would have to in some way begin to acknowledge that these great idols of our culture sometimes permeate into our soul. And that for some of us, probably all of us in some way, we've even given a part of our soul to getting this youth, money, or power. And when we paint that picture, it's easy for us to distance ourselves and say, I'm not like him. But that's not all we know about this guy. And I think that's important. Here's some other things that we know about the guy. Let me, let me uh, Mark tells us in Mark, when Mark tells us the story, he tells us, um, Matthew says it this way, and someone came to him. That's all Matthew says. But Mark tells us that when he came to him, that he ran to Jesus and he fell at his feet. He ran, he, he, think about this, he's a CEO, an influential CEO with a lot of money, and he runs to a homeless teacher in the middle of the street and falls on a dirty road, right? This is, this is a guy, here, here's what we know about him. This is a guy who is humble. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't it good that he's humble? Like, I mean, he's got, to be honest, he's got a lot more humility than the disciples do a lot of times. He's humble. He's falling at his feet before this teacher, before this rabbi. Maybe even he understood before this Messiah. But he's humbling himself. He's taking a posture of humility. I saw a quote this week, and it said that humans only have the capacity to learn when they can be humble enough to set aside their pride and ego, which is shorthand for telling you you're never going to convince anybody on Facebook. 
okay? Just so you know. Humility, humbled himself. He humbled himself. He came to Jesus and said, I don't have the answer. Like, this is a good thing. There's other things that we know about him, right? Um, It tells us in verse 16, someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? This guy here is like a spiritual seeker. He's curious about the things of God. He, he, despite having access to anything and everything, he's a guy who recognizes that there's more to this world than the material things. There's more to this world than influence and power and stuff and youth. He knows that there's something in this life where he's going to live beyond. He recognizes that there's something deeply spiritual about this world that's so intermixed with the physical world that we live in. Um, other writers, maybe in the book of Acts, if they approached him in the book of Acts, Luke might have, might have described him as a, a God-fearer, right? Curious about the thing. He's coming to a religious teacher to understand what he has to say about the things that happen after death, that happen in a reality that is yet unseen. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But, but not just that. Um, verse 20 tells us this. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. Now, a lot of times when we read this, we want to create distance from him, right? So this is how we read it. We read it like this. All these things I have kept as some arrogant, like, jerk, right? That he has some moral superiority. But, but here, I want you to notice, look at what Jesus responds. Look at how Jesus responds. You are a scumbag and a liar. For those of you who don't have a Bible, it doesn't actually say that. It would have been awesome. Wouldn't it have been awesome if Jesus called someone a scumbag like that? Anyways, it doesn't. He simply says, if you wish to be complete. Jesus, who knows everything, he knows people's thoughts and he knows people's hearts. When the guy says, I've done all those things. I've, I, I, I haven't stolen, I haven't robbed for my neighbor. I didn't become successful in business by exploiting my employees or exploiting my neighbors or stealing land from other people. In fact, when Jesus adds the one on that he does, which is in the Old Testament, and, 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 and Jesus says earlier too, to love your neighbors yourself, he even affirms that. That is a wealthy man with power and influence that he's using his position and money to love people. I mean, I think, I, think, I think that this is the kind of guy that you'd be glad to have as your neighbor, right? You'd be like, I mean, that dude is <laughs> loaded. But you know what? The other day I was out, and you know, the lady down the street, she's a little older and, and is a widow, and he was out there mowing her lawn for her. Like, this is a, this is a, this is a moral guy, right? He's a, he's, he, he does what's right, I mean, how many of you would want to, maybe you do already, but how many of you would want to work for someone that was successful, but on top of being successful was kind and generous and moral, did things above board, lived his life in a way where he tried to seek out the best for his neighbors? Like, <laughs> like this is a good, a good guy. But, but not only that, there's something else we know about him. He says this, all these things I've kept... What am I still lacking? This, this guy is self-aware. 
He's, he's self-aware enough to know that in all the good things that he's done and all that he's poured out and all the ways he's been generous and all the service projects he's done and all the nonprofits he's given money to and, and all the times he's showed up to the soup kitchen, all the ways he's given um, bonuses to his employees and, 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 he's, and he's provided a little extra money to the single mom that he knew was going through a hard time and, and he just pushed a little extra under a paycheck at the end of the month. All those moments that he knows that there's still something in him that's not right. He comes to Jesus, after all. He seeks out this Jewish rabbi to answer this question. What, what am I lacking? Right? He's, he's self-aware. Self-aware. He's self-aware. I mean, this is Like, this is a good guy. You guys don't seem convinced. As emphatically as I try and tell you, you don't seem... Sean, I know you'll understand this. Let me, let me tell you this way. I don't know if everybody else can get this, but I know you'll, you'll get this. Your oldest kid's a, a girl, right? Your daughter? Now, let's forward about 10 years, Okay. And uh, she's in her mid-20s then, right? She'd be in her mid-20s in about 10 years. And she's single, and I come to you, and I'm like, Sean, I met this dude. L let me tell you about this dude. He, he is, <laughs> first of all, he's loaded. Like, loaded. Like, uh, not, he's not going to have to worry. Like, you won't have to worry either. Kind of loaded, you know what I'm saying? He's loaded. But not only that, right? He's like... He's just so stinking nice. I, I mean, I met him the other day. The first time I met him, he was walking out of Ross, and this lady had a bunch of groceries, and he took some of her groceries and left his stuff to carry the stuff out to the car. Like, he is a genuinely nice guy. And you know what, Sean? We, we've had a lot of conversations, just like you and I have had a lot of conversations. Every single time we have these conversations, like, he's always asking me, like, Jesus questions and God questions. Like, he's constantly, I don't know where he's at yet with Jesus, but he's, like, constantly, like, trying to, to sort things out, Right? That guy you'd want your daughter to marry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he's a good I mean, maybe one of the best compliments we could give someone as a parent is that it'd be someone we'd want our kids to marry. Like, this, <laughs> this guy, um, young, loaded. Did I mention he's loaded, right? Influential, powerful, good businessman, done well for himself. He, he's, he's humble. Right? He has all this opportunity, all this influence, and all this money, but he doesn't walk around with a swagger. He walk, I mean, you should see the way he loves his mama. Right? He's humble. He's self-aware. He's, he's, he's just generally a good guy, and he's constantly curious about things of God. Like, this is a good guy. So, so it makes me wonder, makes me ask this question, why is it that maybe the best possible recruit Jesus could have ever seen come before him. Why does Jesus put an extra burden on him that he doesn't put on anyone else? I mean, think about that for a second. Nobody else. Does he ask this? You, you remember this? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a for the Lord he wanted to see. I don't remember the rest of the words. 
which often happens when I sing. <laughs> you know the story? Zacchaeus, he is loaded. You know how he's loaded, though? He stole money from people. And you remember, you remember how the story goes? Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and Jesus comes walking by, and, Zacchaeus, and Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down from here and sell all your stuff. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm, I'm coming to your house. Now, Zacchaeus chooses to give back most of his stuff, but Zacchaeus doesn't even give back all of his stuff. If there was any candidate that Jesus should have looked at and said, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and come follow, wouldn't it have been Zacchaeus? Why this guy? I mean, think of all the things that God could have done with this guy's wealth. Right? Like if he shows up, there would have been no concern about where they were sleeping that night. There would have been no more sleeping on rocks. Jesus wouldn't have been all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, you know, everybody has a den and a bird has a nest, but I, you know, I got no place to lay my head. Right? He'd be staying at the nicest places. And the influence, think of the influence that Jesus could have had if he signed up this guy of influence and power that everybody knows. So why is it? Why is it that Jesus puts a responsibility on him that he puts on no one else? It's not just Jesus. I mean, Paul never tells anyone to do this. In fact, he just tells wealthy people what to do, which is to assume that they're going to still be wealthy. Well, one of the great examples, there, there's a woman named Lydia. She's the first convert in the church of Ephesus, and she is loaded, right? She deals in purple, which is like royalty and significance. She's a very successful businesswoman, owns multiple houses all across the world, wealthy woman. And she, she's God-fearer, curious, humble, moral, and, and she comes to Christ. And, and you, know, you know what Paul doesn't tell her? He doesn't sell it to Lydia, sell all your stuff. In fact, Lydia's resources become a tool to establish the church in Ephesus and become funds that resource Paul all throughout his journeys all throughout the Roman Empire. So why is it? Why is it that he puts an expectation on this guy that he puts on no one else? A lot of times I think we like to think that it's because of his money, that his money was a stumbling block. But when we think that way, now this is a really subtle, nuanced difference, but it changes the way we respond to Jesus and changes the way we respond, is we think of it as an out there thing. And a lot of times when we're following Jesus, that's the way we think of brokenness in ourselves, is we think of it as an out there thing. Here's what I mean. If you have an addiction problem, porn, food, buying stuff, people's opinion, alcohol, drugs, if you have an addiction problem, most of us think or act like the problem is the thing out there. So we think, if I can just discipline myself to prevent myself from accessing that, then I'll be better. The problem is that what's broken in you is broken in you. It's not that thing out there. What's broken in this man is not his relationship with his stuff. He said earlier that he loves his neighbor as himself. He was a man who was generous and willing to share with all the stuff that he had. It was not that his stuff that was the problem. There was something in him that was broken. The problem in each of us is not stuff out there. 
It's stuff in here that Jesus didn't come for us to live. We've talked over the last couple weeks about like boundary living and fence living where we're so concerned with preventing things out there from coming to us. What's broken in us is a thing in here. Let me explain to you this way. Um, what do we... What do we not know about this guy? We know some stuff about this guy, but what do we not know about this guy? Um, I'll give you an example. Um, we don't know if he has uh, good judgment or bad judgment. We don't know if he's a Beavers fan or a Ducks fan. Okay? <laughs> Mark, I was prepared for you. I was going to say, if you felt I was calling out the beavers, that's just your own guilt. But uh, I appreciate your posture there. Uh, hey, if you're a beavers fan, I just looked up the other day. Did you know this? As of today, the, 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 I almost said the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys don't play the beavers. But um, the Ducks only play three teams with a winning record as of today for the rest of the season. You know who one of them is? The beavers. Pac 12's in rough shape. Um, <laughs> here, what, what, we don't know if he's um, we don't know if he's a stomach sleeper or a back sleeper. It's an important detail, right? Especially if you snore, that's a really important detail. Uh, we don't know. We don't know if he likes Pepsi or Coke. Okay. There's a lot of things we don't know about him. But there's one thing that's really important that we don't know about him that I think informs the rest of the story. You know what we don't know about him? We don't know his name. It may seem like an inconsequential detail that we don't know his name, but there are a lot of inconsequential details in Scripture. In fact, it was one of the things that C.S. Lewis talked about that convinced him that Scripture was true was all the inconsequential details that were included. There were a lot of people's names who were listed in here that if they were not listed in this book, we would have long, long forgotten. And think about it. It's odd that his name is not listed in this book for even a bigger reason because you remember who he is. He's the young, rich ruler. He's the young, rich, and powerful man. Wouldn't everybody have known him? He's an influential man. He's, he's well-known, at least in the region. If, if his name mattered, if, 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 if who he was defined by his name was an important detail, don't you think that that would matter? That it's not included in here? But the reason it's not included is because Matthew's trying to show us something. See, he's not Miguel or Sammy. He's the young, rich ruler. Who he was had been defined by what he had and the titles he carried. He certainly had a name. Matthew, Mark, and Luke certainly knew his name. But of all the people whose names are not included, the one who gets defined by the stuff and position and power and influence he has is this man. And when Jesus calls him to sell all his stuff and to follow him, it's not because 
Jesus has a problem with him being wealthy. It's not because his stuff is somehow sinful. It's because his stuff had become who he was. Think about it. The reason that he probably had power and influence over people was because he was rich. The reason that he had significance in the community was because he was rich. The reason that he had time and space to be self-reflective and spiritual and ponder the things of this world at the, at the, with, the, with the sunrise glaring upon his face was because he was rich. The reason people cared about him or knew him was because he was rich. His stuff had become who he was. And Jesus is calling him to leave behind who he was and to become someone different. Jesus is far less concerned with his stuff. Jesus is far less concerned with your stuff than with who you are. In fact, this isn't the only person he told to do this. Jesus said it this way in another place, to take up your cross and to follow me. This is the exact same call he's giving the young, rich ruler to leave behind all the things that defined him and gave him significance and purpose apart from Jesus. All the crutches that he leaned on to say, this is why I'm valuable. This is why I mean something. This is why people should listen. This is why my life has purpose. He's calling, that, he's calling him just like he's calling us. So here's where the rubber meets the road. What is it for you? What is the thing that defines you? If you were to hold on to one thing that would describe who you are and why you have significance and why you have purpose and why you deserve to suck in more oxygen and take up space in this world, what would that thing be? Because for the rich young ruler, it was his stuff. And Jesus, out of graciousness and kindness, calls him away from the idol that has wrapped him in bondage. See, this is why he leaves sad. The guy's already generous, willing to share his stuff. He leaves sad because Jesus is calling him to reject himself and to find his purpose and significant and value and meaning in the single claim that he is a follower of Jesus. Was it for you? Maybe being a parent gives you purpose and significance and meaning, the reason you're here. Being a spouse, being a husband or a wife, being a good at your job, having people go, oh, that guy, he knows what he's doing. Getting promotions, getting accolades, getting rewards, being good at athletics, being, being good in education, like maybe education is your place that you, that you find significance and meaning. And, and here's the problem. Here's, here's, here's why Jesus is calling him to it. Because in the end, all those things will wither away. And the guy's desire is for things that are eternal, that will hold for all time. Your position as a parent, as a spouse, as an educator, as an employee, as an athlete, as a student, all those things will wither and fade. But where is eternal life? It's in the call that we are followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of the King. 
in that space, we can breathe in goodness and life and joy because that will never fade. That will never change. We will always be dearly loved children. So what is it for you? Jesus comes to the rich young ruler and he says, sell and follow me. For you, he's coming to you and saying, take up your cross and follow me so that all the things of this world that give you purpose and meaning and significance would wither in the life-giving light of Jesus. What is it for you?